Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey, welcome to the show. Today, we've got Kyle Robertson on, and we had a great conversation about his journey from his first investment property with a 3% down FHA loan, three grand. And he snowballed that through a series of 1031 exchanges where you take your proceeds from one sale in and put it into the next piece of real estate. And by doing that, you defer taxes. So he's just kicking the can down the road, not paying taxes on these exits. And he's built a substantial portfolio over a period of years uh, with no investors. It's just him and his, his wife. And so they built this portfolio for their family. And this is the American dream, right? Starting with no capital. Uh, a dream to get out of his W-2 and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get there. Uh, they just closed on a 60-unit multifamily property uh, recently within the last month or two. And so that's kind of been his journey. Uh, and it's it's really refreshing to hear you know, somebody roll up their sleeves and make a dream happen like that. So we dive into all of it, his story, motivations, uh, you know, educational points along the way, lessons learned, all that good stuff. I think you're going to really enjoy Kyle's story. Before we get into that, if you are not currently seeing DJE projects, investment projects hitting your inbox and you want to, you can go to djetexas.com, Delta Juliet Echo Texas.com and sign up to schedule some time with us or get access to the investor portal. And we can send you case studies and you can get a sense of what uh, historically, what kind of projects we've done and see future projects. Secondly, if you want to go out and run your own deals, large multifamily properties, we built apartmenteducators.com for just that. Our students are closing huge deals, 10, $20 million deals in Texas and uh, bringing a lot of investors along the way. And we're seeing a lot of success there. So if you want to get plugged into the coaching ecosystem, mentorship, networking group, camaraderie, uh, we become like the people we associate with and we built apartmenteducators.com as a group of people that are buying large apartment communities to run as investments. So you can check that out. We've also got a free video course there if, uh, if you just want to dip your toe in the water. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into the episode with Kyle. Here we go. Kyle, welcome. Glad to have you on. How are you? Doing good, Devin, man. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, certainly. Looking forward to, to digging in on some multifamily and investing stuff here. Um, before we do that, let's let's kind of back it up a little bit for the audience um, and learn a little bit about your your story. You know, where, where'd you grow up? What what did your life look like before real estate? And what was that aha moment for you to to get over into real estate? What did all that look like for you? Man, yeah, it's. I'll try to keep it as short as I can. You know, everybody's got a story, and uh, I'll try to keep it to the good points. But I've uh, I started in real estate about 2004, and I was 20 years old at that point, and figured, you know, everybody's doing real estate. Let's give it a shot. And so my first purchase was a house I intended on living in, which I did. And what market and was this in? So this is in Oregon. I live in the okay. Willamette Valley of Oregon. Uh, I actually yep. grew up in Missouri and moved out to Oregon after high school. So I had family out here. So I came over here to be close to them. Gotcha. And, um, so yeah, that first place ended up being uh, a place I moved into. I met my wife in 08 and we wanted to buy our own house together. Well, everybody knows what happens in 2008. You know, the Great Recession yeah. happened. So the plan was to sell the place. We couldn't sell it. So we decided to keep it. And that became my very first rental. We were clearing about a hundred bucks a month. It, it really wasn't anything exciting. 
you know, and in the, but in I, the I black, sold, though, I mean, you got it, it you was got, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's the whole reason we kept on. It was, you know, we could have sold it in a year or two years after, you know, 2010 or something, but it wasn't hurting anything. And, and we started seeing that equity growth. You know, we started watching the market right. and thinking, well, OK, we're just sitting here doing nothing. It was already fully renovated, you know, so we yeah. just kind of let the thing go. And about 2013, I want to say somewhere 2012, we decided, all right, well, let's sell it. Let's see what happens. You know, I was not a serious investor by this point. And we did, and we ended up selling it. So I bought it for ninety five thousand back in '04, sold it for one hundred and forty five thousand dollars in about twenty twelve. And I was like, "Wow, okay, that's." And with loan pay down, you know, we cleared a pretty decent chunk. Sure. Knowing what I know now, um, I didn't ten thirty one exchange. I didn't do any of that stuff, you know. But uh, lesson learned at that point. It was an expensive lesson, but it was a lesson nonetheless. And uh, we got into commercial after that. Bought a storage unit complex. Cash flowed that for about three years. I uh, had somebody come along unsolicited, make us an offer. And so we did do our first 1031 at that point and got into multifamily. Nice. Uh, so you took the out. 1031 off the storage and put that in multifamily? I did. Small multifamily. We went with sure. duplexes and we bought a handful of them. No partners? And, um, no partners, just my wife and I. And these were the Burr method. So these were yep. pretty rough. They were very, very under rent. Lots of good value add on this one. Uh, we held them for about three years. From the per point we purchased them until the point we sell them, we more than doubled the rents uh, because wow. they were so under market. Just at turnover, you know, we weren't slumlording these things and jacking rents up on the on the good tenants. They'd move out and we'd jack the rents up to where they were supposed to be in, at market. Double though, I mean, that's crazy. Like, what yeah. were they? What, what were they when when you took over? So the previous owner had owned them since about 1989 and she oh, wow. kept them for her 27 and a half years to get all the depreciation out of them that she could right. almost to the day. And uh, we oh just happened gosh. to be in the market when she was ready to sell. So I, I mean, it kind of gets the, the moral of the story is a lot of real estate timing ends up being luck. And it's been that way for us too. And, and we kind of yep. fell into this one in a lucky way. And they were at 575 when we purchased them. And by the time we sold them, uh, we had two of them at 1275 and two of them at 995. So they were outstanding. They were pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty heavy lift on the interiors and the, and, and the, the, you know, CapEx items. Yeah. CapEx wasn't so bad. She did a good job with, you know, we actually, we negotiated the hell out of this thing before we bought it. We ended up having her do new roof, new siding, new paint, and like, 25% new windows before we even closed the deal. We were just kind of pushing the envelope to see how far we could get this thing. Cause she hadn't messed with them much in, you know, 27 and a half years. They right. just kind of been sitting there. And um, so anyways, we, we managed to negotiate a lot of that stuff and uh, we just probably about $20,000 in upgrades on the inside because we went pretty high end. Uh, these were very, very nice. We replaced all cabinets, gutted kitchens and all 27 K on the interior, 20,000 per door 20,000 yeah. uh, on like, like 900 square feet. Uh, they were about 1120 okay. and these were two bedroom, two bath townhomes that were that's a healthy. Uh, that's a healthy upgrade. They probably look really nice. Oh, they were gorgeous. And I kind of yeah. still kick myself over selling them. They were the only local ones here in Oregon, but Oregon's just not a landlord friendly state. No, sir. And uh, so that was really where we, that, that catapulted us. We ended up selling them after three years, um, more than doubled our money on them. And Beautiful. that's when we moved out of state. So we went to uh, Tennessee first and then Arkansas. We've got some buildings in both of those states now. And then I still own a little bit here in Oregon. In Oregon. Um, well, first, let me ask you. So you 1031 into those. Did you 1031 again? We did. Yeah. yeah Even to the, this point, we, yeah. we haven't, we haven't done, we've everything we've done from that point forward has been 1031. We're just continuing to roll that capital from, you know, oh. all, I don't want to pay capital gains. Nobody, nobody yeah. wants to pay taxes if they can help it. Right. That's and, such a cool uh, story. Like if you syndicate, it's kind of different. It's more complex, but 
you know, you got your own seed money and you just keep rolling it. I mean, that is like going to turn into a tidal wave or probably has already started to, which is really exciting. It really has. And I, I hope you don't mind me talking about specific numbers, but I think viewers get the most out of specific numbers. It kind of gives them an idea of what you start with. Yeah. And that purchase that I bought back in 2004, my very first house, it was a, it was a five or a 3% down FHA loan on a $90,000, $95,000 purchase, you know? So it was, it was less than five grand on my very first purchase. And then we sold that one and we just kept, like you said, you know, the equity builds because times can, time can be your, your friend or your enemy. If you get started right. young, it's your friend, you get stay, started late, you're playing catch up. And uh, by the time we rolled all of our money from our properties here in Oregon over to the Midwest, we were, you know, we were six figures in, in our down payments over there of our own money. And I, I'm not a rich guy. You know, I, I worked fire service for 14 years um, and then retired on my real estate income just this year in 20 or last year in 2021. And uh, so anybody in any, any asset or uh, uh, social class or income class can do this kind of stuff. It just t- it takes time. It's not a get rich quick scheme by any means. Sure. Yeah, it does. It does. But with, you know, three grand down to, to, to snowball it, uh, that's, it's the American dream, man. I mean, that is, that's the beauty of real estate, right? It's anybody can do it within, within reason, but, uh, and you can grow it really big. I love it, man. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Oregon landlord, you know, you got landlord friendly areas and landlord unfriendly areas. I've got some friends up there. I've heard some things. I don't invest up there, but you know, for some of those of us, maybe in Texas or Florida or other parts of the country that are pretty, um, (laughs) pretty cozy with our landlord laws (laughs) in terms of, you know, being pretty owner friendly. Uh, what's the scenario in Oregon? What does it look like? You know, how, how, how how does that, you know, what does an eviction look like? And, you know, and that kind of stuff just for context here. Man, it's ugly. It's, it's difficult. There's a lot of red tape that you have to jump through. In fact, at the time that we sold those duplexes and moved them out of state was when Oregon introduced what's called rent control. Uh, Rent control is you can only raise your rents no matter what they are. Say like this, these duplexes I spoke about a little bit ago were so under market. Had I bought those say in 2019, instead of back in like 2015 or 2014, um, I would only have been able to market. Exactly. If the, if the tenant is still living there, you can raise the rent 7% plus the cost of inflation, which is usually about 3%, give or take over here in Oregon. So 10% max, I could have raised them 50 bucks. Annualized I, or annual, on an annual yeah. basis. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We keep everybody on annual on uh, one year leases and it, it's very, very difficult to keep your properties, especially commercial properties that are valued on their income. Super difficult to keep those things at market. And you know, when I say commercial properties, I'm saying five units and larger, obviously. Sure. sure. So um, yeah, rent control is a really tough one. We have 90 day evictions over here. So 30 days, not going to happen. If you've got a really rough tenant, somebody that's just destroying your place, they've also got a lot of squatter rights here as well. So right. uh, the state of Oregon has decided that even if they're really crappy tenants and destroying your property and your asset, that they still have enough rights that they can continue to do so because it's too mean to get them out. Um, and I'm not a political person. I don't want to, I don't want to get into that realm necessarily, but it's really, really difficult to be a landlord over here. So, uh, we went into commercial stuff here and and the beauty Mm -hmm. of Oregon is in the real estate side is we get tremendous appreciation. It's not a cash flow market, you know, kind of like California is not a cash flow market, depending on where you're at. Yep. Oregon appreciates. I mean, we had, I know the whole country had a lot of appreciation in 2020, 2021, but, um, you know, we were 20%, give or take, which is outrageous. And, you know, you look at Arkansas, Tennessee, and, and some of the other markets, I mean, they're three to 5%. Sure. 
So there is a game there, you know, where you invest either for cash flow or appreciation. And if you're investing in Oregon, you're going to get a lot of appreciation benefits. Right. Yeah, that's that's wild. It's it's uh, rent control and all that stuff. It's definitely interesting. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who lives in Spain and he was laughing at me. He's like, oh, it, if I were to stop paying my rent right now, it was like six years or something before they oh could my get gosh. him out. Uh, wow. I mean, it was like really put things in perspective, but as investors, you know, we, we got to take all this stuff into, into consideration here, but uh, that's great that you're able to make it work. See a lot of appreciation. What drew you guys to, to Tennessee? Was it a job opportunity or was that specifically for real estate or how, what, what, what drove that, that move? Yeah, it's, it was, it was, um, it was just investing. I still live in Oregon and um, I got you. okay yeah and so in my main my my main income my only income really is real estate related so really the income from all of my rentals uh, we're at 96 units right now we started out um, with a quadplex in Arkansas and then went to Tennessee and uh, the quadplex was our first out-of-state uh, purchase and the, what drew us there was the cash flow ability of the Midwest and the South and if you ask anybody from Arkansas and Tennessee, they'll tell you from, they're from the South. I always say the Midwest just because I, I grew up in Missouri. But um, for some reason, I seem to think that is the Midwest. But um, a lot of those markets are just really, really good uh, cash flow. You know, you've heard about the 1% rule and 2% rules. Those still exist there. And you can't do that here. And my goal right. was to retire from my W-2 job in the fire service on income yep. from my rentals. And uh, so, yeah, we, we bought that quadplex first. It was cash flowing wonderfully. Like, you know, it was a $215,000 purchase in our net cash flow. So after debt service, after all of our, um, you, uh, we weren't paying any utilities, but taxes, insurance, all that typical expenses stuff. We were cash flowing around $1,500 a month after reserves as well. So if you put the reserves back in, we didn't have to do any repairs. Now we're closer to like 18, 1900 bucks a month positive. So I was like, well, shoot, you know, this is doing really well. Let's get bigger. So we bought a 16 unit over in East Tennessee, Tri-Cities area, specifically um, Kingsport, Tennessee, Johnson City, Bristol. And um, that one was and wonderful. These were markets that, sorry to interrupt, these were markets That's that okay. you just, you know, did market research on and, and picked it or did, was, did you have somebody down there or, you know, that we got the whole country and you're picking, you know, yeah. this market specifically, what was the driver there? You know, it's funny. Um, I read a book. Here's a plug for Bigger Pockets, and I, I'm not a Bigger Pockets employee, but um, there's a there's a book that I read called Long Distance Real Estate Investing by David Green. Sure. And for those of you who listen to Bigger Pockets, he's the now the new the new host. He was co-host, but sure. the um, the book is phenomenal, and it taught us a lot of things about how to assess markets. Simple things, more more beginner stuff for out of out of state investing. Uh, not super high level, but definitely good introductory stuff of how to assess markets how to build a team when you've never even been there before. Uh, we bought this Kingsport place. We owned it for about one year and got a, and, and I never, never saw it. My wife did, but she, she flew out and walked it. Um, but, but how to build these teams without ever actually knowing these people, vetting uh, real estate agents, if you're using one, vetting your property managers, contractors, uh, all those types of things. And then how to, to, to see the property maybe without actually having boots on the ground right then and there. So it's a great book for those of you looking to, to um, you know, pick up properties outside your local market, read it, gives you a really good introduction. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to David Green stepping up in the, in the podcast <laughs> world. I, he's, yes. been, he's been killing it for a long time, but um, I, I want to step back a little bit. Was there, you know, I know that first house is like a lot of us get into real estate and, and we, t you talked about kind of your journey there, but was there a, um, a big 
you know, aha moment or, or pain motivator or mentor or book or something that like just got you on the real estate path? Or was this just kind of one foot in front of the other, um, you know, taking the next logical step? There, there was, there was a, there was a really big, um, uh, I guess moment in my life. I think most people I'm, I'm 37 and I think a lot of people in their thirties kind of go through this moment where you start to reevaluate where you're at. Yes. And then that, that crushing feeling of, Oh shoot, I'm going to have to do whatever it is that I'm doing for the next 25, 30 years before I yes. can even retire. And it really, I, I, it really was a crushing feeling, you know, because yep. although I was very proud to be a fireman, I was a Lieutenant uh, where I was at and worked on a fire truck. I loved the job, but it was, it was so seldomly what I signed up to do, you know, it, I was thinking, you know, back when I first started, I'd be running in, putting fires out, you know, saving people doing this. Sure. Well, 95% of the stuff you do has nothing to do with fires whatsoever, right. you know, changing out batteries and people smoke alarms. And it, it, just like with anybody who does something for long enough, you kind of start to burn out a little bit. And I burned out. And uh, I started becoming just this miserable person to live with. Asked my wife, she'll tell you all about it. It was kind of a dark time there for a little while. And sure. um, so I, I kind of just sat down one day. I, I took stock of what it was that I knew in my life and what, what I could change. And what I realized was I don't have to keep doing this job. You know, we're all, just not to sound morbid, we're all going to be dead soon anyways. Why not do That's what right. you enjoy while you're here, right? That's it. Yeah. It's halfway over thinking, maybe for, for you and I, right? If we're lucky. If we're lucky. Yeah, exactly. So we're sitting here thinking, what, what can we do to money's necessary? It's a, it's a necessary tool that you have to have to live. And so we had to figure out how do we make money and still kind of enjoy ourselves? Well, we've done pretty well in real estate. So I, I went to my wife one day and said, Hey, let's, uh, what do you say? We hit the reset button. We sell our personal house. We sell all of our possessions and we just start over. I'm talking just start over right from the beginning. And she looked at me and she's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's a pretty, um, that's a pretty blunt sales pitch, right? <laughs> yeah. I probably could have presented it a little bit better, but, um, you know, after I, I understood that giving up your security, your safety and your, oh yeah, your way of life is difficult. I didn't, I don't falter for that at all. My wife's my partner, you know, and I, I, I hundred percent respected, you know, what her desires were on that. And so another year went by and I think she was getting tired of living with me and just being miserable all the time. And she finally said, okay, Prove to me that we can do this. Go buy something somewhere and let me know. And so I started, I hit the books hard. You know, I was reading books, assessing markets, figuring out where it made most sense to put my money. And that's how we settled on Tennessee and Arkansas. And then eventually we did. We ended up selling our house. We moved into a fifth wheel for two years with three kids and a dog. Wow. And uh, yeah. we took all that equity that was in our personal house. We bought a 16 plex, an 18 plex, uh, and a quad plex in the span of 12 months. So that's, that's what kind of catapulted us. And then at that point, you know, we owned a total of 50 units um, and then 12 plex. Sorry, I missed the 12 plex. So we owned 50 units in total and um, I was able to quit and never looked back. And then we did just finished up a 60 unit acquisition in December. Outstanding. Well, congratulations on that. And thanks for, for kind of peeling back some of the layers on that story. Uh, there's so much there. And I, I love I love that story. You know, you, you go kind of bare bones and you go all in on your dream. And I think everybody loves that story, but it's so scary that most people are never going to do that. Right. So I love hearing when somebody's done that. I mean, my wife and I were beans and rice, rice and beans, Dave Ramsey to start this whole thing years mm -hmm. ago, you know, Absolutely. and uh, she cried when I told her we were going to sell everything and save our money and start down this path. And, uh, you know, 
it's it's uh it's an amazing story so th thank you for for sharing that and i completely relate and i know a lot of uh maybe guys especially relate to being in your mid-30s and going man i'm an adult everything i thought of growing up this is it it's, <laughs> this is it right now this is this is someday Yep. And, uh, you know, for, for me and for a lot of us, it was, it's a slap in the face. And, um, with any luck, that pain is enough to push you out of the comfortable orbit of a, of a W2 because the, or the gravity is very strong there. Um, and it, it, absolutely. You know, yeah. And, and, you know, for anybody who's anybody who's feeling that you just got to understand that you're not stuck. It's going to take right. work. It's not a free thing. You know, you're not going to just go out there and probably start making the same amount of money you're making in your job in real estate, unless you've built that foundation, but get to a point where you're ready to bet on yourself. And if, if you've even built yourself to that point, you're not going to let yourself fail. Just, just make good, informed, educated decisions you're right. going to be successful. Don't let yourself fail. And that's the way that I felt. I, I'm a resourceful person, you know, big on affirmations. You know, I, I'm a smart guy. I can do this. I'm not going to let myself quit no matter what. I have people that are relying on me. And if you can adopt that mentality, there really is nothing that you can't succeed with. I know that sounds kind of corny, you know, you're like something your parents would say to you while you're growing up, but I didn't really believe that's the way I felt about it until I finally did it. And it was, it was huge. It was scary as hell, you know, just yep. selling everything you got. And then all yeah. of a sudden, like, okay, well, if I fail, everybody in my family fails because I'm it, you know, and, and that, that gives you more motivation than you would ever imagine because how are diamonds made, you know, out of pressure. And so give yourself a little bit of pressure, make yourself uncomfortable because comfort is the enemy of progress 150% of the time. Amen. Yep. Yep. I love it. Absolutely love all of it. Thank you for, for sharing that. Let's talk about the 60 unit. That's a big, big deal. Um, I got a lot of questions, you know, how'd you find it? Um, what are you doing for property management? What's CapEx look like? What's the debt look like? Do you have investors? I mean, all, all that stuff. So I guess we'll start off with how did you source the deal? And, and I guess, how did you know that you were ready to go after a 60 unit deal? Yeah. You know, strangely enough, this one we found on market. So yep. let me give you a good, your, let me give your listeners a good uh, suggestion. Everybody talks about, oh, I'm looking for off market. I'm looking for off market. Well, okay. Look, off market properties are picked through too. Okay. Just because it has off market in front of it doesn't mean it's not been sent out to a thousand other investors that are ready to pay a 4% cap rate. Right. You know, it's, it's still out there and it's still being, you know, marketed to a certain degree. You're not the first person to see this property. So I've, I've kind of shifted in this type of a market to what everybody complains about, which is on market properties. And what I do is I try to find the places that are listed and where they, maybe they shouldn't be, or maybe they're not normally. And that's the local MLS. I'm not talking about LoopNet and Crexy. Um, I'm talking about local MLSs and literally just download the realtor.com app. And I found a 60 unit apartment complex that wasn't listed anywhere else. That's and nobody wild. else was looking at this thing. Yeah. And it's in, a, it's in Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is Northeast Arkansas. It's a, it's a college town, about 80,000 people, I want to say, give or take. Okay. And um, nobody was paying attention to Jonesboro. You know, they, they hadn't really had any interest. They were also overpriced. Uh, it was a $4 million purchase price. And I had seen it a while back. It had been listed for about a year by the time I wrote my offer. And I knew it was overpriced. I, I just kept watching it. And after about eight months of being listed, it dropped to 3.5. I thought, okay, we're going in the right direction. Still overpriced, but we're going in the right direction. And I, I gave right. it about another two months, give or take. And um, I went ahead and put my offer in. I put my offer in at uh, 2.8. 
And from there was a 3.5 asking. I was figured, you know what? I've got 1031 money because we had just sold a building. I got to spend yep. it on something, right? Why not? Got to put it somewhere. Yep. Yep. And they counter offered us back at 3.18. And uh, we met in the middle at three, which was a great purchase price. It ended up being like an eight cap, which is unheard of in this market. Unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So we were super happy with that. Uh, property management. I actually already owned a building in that, in that market. So we just ended up giving it to her and we're able to negotiate a lower uh, um property management rate. I don't negotiate property management rates rates much, but I'm right. also half of her business now, but property manager, their overhead is pretty high. They really don't have much margin. So the respect your property tough, manager. Low margin, super hard work. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. I don't envy them at all. And I'll it's like, you, you know, do you want the management company that's going to do it for the cheapest price? Like there's already no, no margin. Like yeah, there's no margin there. And they're not going to give a crap about your place if you're going to be just exactly. diamond them all the time. So they're going to give it to the people that are paying them more. They're going to fill the ones that are paying them more money way before they're going to fill yours. So take good care. It's a symbiotic relationship. You need each other. Yep. Uh, settle on something that makes sense. So we pay 9%. Now, 9% for in, in that market is uh, is pretty good. Um, but the thing is that 9% is no leasing fees whatsoever. There's no leasing fees, no late right. fees, no pet fees. Everything comes to me. What so about actually, payroll on a property like that? Is there a payroll line item in your PL or is it like contract type service one-off stuff or how does that work? 100% handled by property management. I don't have personal payroll. I don't even pay myself with these. Yeah. So 100%, um, that 9% gets 100% of, of service. That includes, oh, that's amazing. Uh, man. I yeah. Mean, she bills me separately for maintenance, obviously, you know, sure. whatever the maintenance cost is, but she does have in-house maintenance, which I'm sure I pay for with all the 9% that I give to her, you know, and, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of the best setups we have. Uh, one of our other buildings, which is in Arkansas, it's a 12 unit. We have a private manager there who's actually our uh, personal assistant. She's not, mm -hmm. she's not licensed. And so, but she is able to represent according to Arkansas law, uh, represent us on that property. So oh, nice. Um, and that one's a, a, a very affordable uh, option for us and she does everything. She's phenomenal. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Making it happen remote. I mean, that's, um, you really took those lessons to heart and, and made it happen. I love it. What uh, what kind of capex did that sixty unit uh, need? Was it was it a total war zone? Pretty clean, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So it was three buildings, and they're all next to each other. And one of the buildings was a little bit neglected, needed some uh, HVAC work. There's probably a total of twenty HVACs that are ranging anywhere from. 10 to 25 years old. I don't know how they're keeping this to 25. I know they're going to go out eventually. So I, I figured there'd be around $200,000 in CapEx items I'd have to take care of, but they weren't immediate. They didn't need to be done right now. They still mm -hmm. function, but they will fail. So I started thinking, you know, man, we just dropped $600,000 on the down payment on this place. How am I going to pay for another $200,000 of CapEx items? So this wonderful credit union that we were using to purchase, we got recourse financing on this deal. Uh, but this wonderful credit union, and we're going to refinance into agency debt at some point at this, but right now we, we went ahead and stuck with what we got just because the, the terms were phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I went back to them and I said, Hey, before closing, I said, you know, I've identified about this much money that I need to, to, to fix these things over the next couple of years. And I'm looking for maybe a creative way to try to fund that stuff. Would you be interested in maybe thinking about a personal loan to do this, or maybe even a line of credit, you know, unsecured. I don't want it attached to the building, just an unsecured line of credit. You know, everything there is to know about me financially. What do you think? And she said, well, how much is it? And I said, $200,000. And she said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. We'll do it at a 5% interest rate. Love and it. I thought, 
for unsecured, a 5% interest rate rate is phenomenal, you know? So they, they've given me a $200,000 line of credit on this place. And I can, if I maxed that out and it was a $200,000 balance, it came out to like 870 bucks a month or something, which is phenomenal. Oh yeah. yeah and if you're, it's a, if you're not drawn on it, you're not paying nothing, on it, right? So yeah. it's just dry, it's just dry powder. Wait until the first contractor starts swinging a hammer, right? Exactly. Yep. It's just it's ready to go. So it not only not only I don't care about the price so much because we figured that into our underwriting, right? Sure. But that peace of mind is everything when it comes to real estate because yes. you know what do we do as investors? We worry about everything constantly. What's going to break? Is am I going to make any money this month? You know these huge capex items. Right. What a humongous weight off my shoulder to know that anything that's going to break on that place for at least the next couple of years. It's already paid for. I'm good. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, <clears throat> so that's, you know, 60 units is a, is a big deal. You guys will go to agency financing at some point. Um, has that changed anything for you having closed that deal in terms of like what you think about future deal criteria, um, size, you know, property that you want to target, all that fun stuff? You know, we're pretty comfortable with our criteria. You know, when, when we underwrite, we, we, we started out underwriting what any, what most beginning uh, investors do, which is they, we only calculate things like return on investment. You know, I don't, I don't give a crap about cap rate because I'm not a seller. Yeah. I want to know what my cash flow is going to look like. Right. right. And, and when I, I, cap rate's important because you got to think about the future, you know, okay, well, is this like a 5% cap rate type of a market, you know, or am I maybe going to get 9% cap rate in t- five or 10 years from now? Nobody can really tell that because it's the future, but you can at least get kind of some some kind of a guess, right? So yeah, it's important to know cap rate, but I care a lot more about my return. And when I underwrite these deals, I want to make sure I'm going to hit a 10% min. Um, we have never purchased anything less than 15%. 10% is just what we what we use to get started. And then we try to underwrite these things on actuals, not pro forma. So we purchase on actuals. What is the property making right now? And then we do a separate, you know, a, a really involved, we got a big you know, monster calculator that we use, probably a syndication calculator, you know, that, that you guys would use as well. Right. Uh, which does a lot of the pro forma stuff. What do I think it's going to do? What are my rent gross looking like? You know, all those types of things and IRRs, the things that really do matter, but I just don't care about so much because I don't have investors. You know, it, this is just right. me. The only thing I want to know is how much money am I going to make every month? Is it going to cover it? It's expensive or it's expenses. Uh, and then can I refinance this thing in a couple of years and go buy another, maybe a hundred unit next? It does matter to me. I, I want to keep getting bigger, but I'm trying really, really hard not to turn my nose up to smaller properties because sure. when I'm in, I'm looking for a percentage return, who cares if it's a 20 unit or 120 unit, I'm still hitting my metric, you know? So I'm trying not to worry so much on the number of doors as I am getting the return on the capital that I'm putting into it. Right. And I think it's really important to have crystal clear criteria. And that doesn't mean one criteria is better than another, but you can't be chasing 18 metrics, you know, right. and, and I think we've, we've built our firm the same way. It's very simple. Um, doesn't mean it's easy, but, but having clear uh, few criteria or, or one criteria that you're kind of basing everything around just makes all your decisions easier and really makes it easy to say no to just about everything, which is what you have to do. Um, and, and a clear filter on your criteria will, will let you do that. Yeah. And, and don't buy bad deals. You buy a bad deal because you're so desperate to get into this, you know, then you could try, you, you got to unscrew that situation over the next two, three, five, 10 years. Oh yeah. Because you couldn't be patient. So just be patient. There's so many deals out there. So I mean, everybody deals. says there's no deals. There's no deals. Everything's overpriced. My goodness, man, I'm, I'm finding some pretty incredible deals. I just got to work a little bit harder than what right. we did years ago, but 
you know, that's, that's fine. That's the way it should be. Anyways, you got to make sure I feel like the longer I'm in this game, the more strict I am. I'm only doing two or three acquisitions a year tops. I think we did three in 2021 and, you know, maybe it's not quantity, but man, quality is phenomenal. We're cash flowing the hell out of these things. So, um, and we've got good game plans. You got to have your exit plan. You got to figure out what you're going to do with this place. Cause when you buy a place, you got to figure out how's it going to let you buy the next one. And for us, that's, you know, our value add plays, which is, you know, raising rents and of course your typical value adds like renovations if necessary. But um, man, we, we always buy stuff under rents because that's been our biggest benefit for, for increasing the value of the property. It's, you know, based on its NOI, you increase the NOI. Now your property value went way up. This one right. we just bought December 1st, we've already increased the rents by almost 25%, not on people that were living there, but we had instant turnover. As soon as we bought it, everybody's like, we're going to get kicked out. They moved out and I was like, perfect. We rent, yep. we raised the rents, you know, 25% and then wham, you know, we just raised the value of the property in short time. That's incredible. I mean, there's so much opportunity, I think on these smaller properties, call it sub hundred units to, to buy properties that are in that kind of shape to find long-term owners, you know, 27 and a half years, pretty long-term owner (laughs) (laughs) and, and force a lot of, uh, a lot of appreciation in a very short time. So I love it. What, what do you think's ahead for the, you know, we're talking kind of early 2022 right now. What, what do you see, uh, you know, in, in the next year ahead for you guys? Man, I, you know, I'm taking a mental health month. I, uh, month. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a 30 day time off and I'm, I'm using you, this man. time more or less to try to figure out what it, I got to find a hobby, you know, when you do this sort yes. of thing, and especially when you don't have uh, a team in place and everything is your responsibility, you, things start to fall by the wayside, which is your own personal happiness. You know, I, and don't get me wrong. I love real estate, but I, I've got to have some balance in there. So right. I'm taking 30 days off to try to, you know, we're going to do some hiking. I got back into the gym again, which is really important to me. And, uh, I think February, we're going to hit things pretty hard. And, uh, I I'd really like to get into the loan sponsor side on some of the syndication deals that are going on. I've got a lot of really good friends in the syndication space. And I'm, I'm asked on a regular basis, if I had any interest in being on the GP side of syndications and, and mm-hmm. I just haven't up until this point, cause I like doing what I'm doing. You know, I've, right. I've got the control, call me a control freak, I guess. But, um, I think probably be getting on that loan sponsor side is, is something I'll visit with some of my closer friends and see if I can maybe peek into that, that syndication world a little bit. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you're cultivating your own portfolio. You've got criteria and systems that work. You can continue doing that, but there's a lot of things on the menu, right? I mean, there's a million things on the menu. You get into bigger syndications, co-sponsors, GP stuff, raise capital, guarantee loans. I mean, the, the menu is, is endless, which is, which is great. It's kind of a matter of finding where your strengths are, what you want to spend your time doing, all that good stuff. Um, well, I wish, you know, congratulations on on building this from a $3,000 know, FHA deposit up to where it is. Obviously, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears along the way. There's no doubt. Um, and I you know, wish you guys continued success. If, if we want to hand off here kind of to the audience uh, to connect with you, uh, Kyle, what's a, good oppor- what's a good avenue for that? Yeah, I think probably the best way is going to be uh, through Facebook. That's my main social media platform. Uh, If you want to reach out and talk shop, I love talking about real estate, love talking about multifamily. Uh, I'm on uh, your multifamily mentor is is what my my handle is through my business page. Awesome. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. You guys listening, if you want to reach out and connect, hit the link there. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for joining. Wish you guys continued success and uh, we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.